Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. I'm Devika Girish. And I'm Clinton Crute. We're the editors of Film Comment. 2022 marks the birth centenary of the great filmmaker, writer, and intellectual Pier Paolo Pasolini. A new publication by Fireflies Press called Pier Paolo Pasolini, Writing on Burning Paper, celebrates his legacy with contributions from some of our favorite contemporary filmmakers. Mike Lee, Helena Whitman, Alexandra Koberidze, Ja Janke, Angela Shanilek, and many more. To discuss the book and reflect on Pasolini's life and work, we sat down with Giovanni Marchini Camilla, co-publisher of Fireflies Press, and filmmaker Radu Judah, one of the contributors to writing on Burning Paper. Giovanni told us about how the title of the book, and in fact the name Fireflies Press itself, were inspired by Pasolini's writings, while Radu recalled his memories of first encountering Pasolini's work at the Cinematheque in Bucharest in the early 90s. It was a lovely and wide-ranging conversation, and we hope you enjoy it. I'm very excited today to have two amazing guests. One of them is a friend of Film Comment, and the other, let's say Film Comment, is a fan. To talk about Pasolini, whose centenary we are celebrating this year, and this conversation is inspired by a new publication by Fireflies Press that is a publisher of Decadent Editions, which we have covered a few times at Film Comment. So we have one of the publishers of Fireflies Press. I'm going to ask him to introduce himself. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm uh, Giovanni Marchini Camia, and yeah, I'm one of the two publishers and founders of Fireflies Press. I'm also a film programmer for the Locarno Film Festival and uh, occasional film critic for various places, including Film Comment. And Giovanni wrote a really great piece from Doc Lisboa recently for Film Comment. Covering the films of Carlos Reichenbach. That was really fascinating. And I know we both really appreciated finding out more about that filmmaker for sure. So thank you for plucking that subject (laughs) out of the ether for us. Our other guest is a contributor to the Fireflies Press book and a renowned filmmaker in his own right. Radu, could you introduce yourself? Sure. So uh, I'm Radu Jude. I'm a Romanian filmmaker uh, based in, in, in Romania, based in Bucharest. I uh, have made uh, feature films and short films as well. Uh, my last uh, short film is called uh, Bad Luck Banging or Looney Porn. Actually, my last feature film is, is called uh, Do Not Expect Too Much of the End of the World, but is now in progress. I'm just I'm, I'm finishing editing it, so I don't know when it will be uh, finished. And uh, well, and I was a, a contributor to a stressed contributor to, to this wonderful book uh, about uh, Pasolini. And uh, when I say stressed, uh, I mean I mean it because I'm not. Uh, what you can call a scholar or a writer, unfortunately, and also because the task felt all of a sudden very big because of Pasolini's stature and because of the contributors to the book, which are among my favorite either masters like Mike Lee or younger colleagues like like Dane Comlian that I admire a lot. So so I, I felt, uh, but uh, no, I, I'm so happy to to be part of that. Yeah, uh, thank you for joining us, Radu. We're, as I said uh, while introducing you, we're huge fans of your work. 
Um, Thank you. Uh, you were one of the only two filmmakers last year who had two films on my top 20 list. I just want you to know this uh, because you had two great releases. <laughs> I cannot judge the taste of, uh, of, of people, so I've seen worse. <laughs> but yeah, we're, you know, we're, we're admirers and we loved your piece in the book. But actually, before we talk too much about your essay in particular, I was wondering, Giovanni, if you could tell us a little about the book, uh, why you and Annabelle decided to put it together and why you chose this approach, you know, having contemporary artists reflect on Pasolini's legacy. Yeah, so the, the publishing house is called Fireflies Press and the name is actually drawn from Pasolini. I don't know uh, how familiar people are abroad with this article that he wrote in 1975, which was published in uh, Corriere della Sera, which is one of the main uh, newspapers in, in Italy. He had a he did a frequent column in that newspaper in the last years of his life. And he wrote this article, um, which now is known as the, the article of the fireflies, where he talks about the disappearance of the fireflies. And it's a metaphor that he uses to speak about the disappearance of a type of culture in, in Italy. And that's the, the type of culture that he's always exalted in his, in his work and always, yeah, from, from, from the novels onto the films and his disappearance has always pained him very much and the way he talks about it is very beautiful and we kind of borrowed many people have borrowed this this metaphor it's quite famous in europe in any case and we borrowed it to and applied it to cinema when in uh, in 2014 we started a magazine that was called fireflies annabelle and i started it and it was about two filmmakers it was about pasolini about epichapong so we felt um the name Fireflies applied well. And then, yeah, this magazine eventually turned into a publishing house. We kept the name. And then when the centenary, Pasolini Centenary came along in 2022, we felt we needed to make a publication uh, about him. And well, the concept of the book is that, yeah, we, we asked 20 contemporary filmmakers to send us a reflection about Pasolini. We were very very open about what that meant. We didn't really prescribe. It could, it could be visual, it could be written, whatever they like. And all we told them was that the book would include a very long autobiographical poem by Pasolini called Poet of Ashes, written in 1966, uh, 1966 to 1967. And he basically summarizes his uh, life up to that point. So the concept for us in the book was that we would have the poem on one side and the contributions from the contemporary filmmakers on the other as a way of staging a kind of dialogue between Pasolini and contemporary cinema. And uh, could you talk a little about the title of the book, Pier Paolo Pasolini, Writing on Burning Paper? Right, yeah. Um, that's just uh, that's a quote from an essay called is being natural the quote is uh, to make films is to write on burning paper the essay is included in a collection of essays about cinema that he wrote the collection called heretical empiricism and this essay specifically is well they're all about uh, semiotics and the semiotics of cinema 
which he was kind of working uh, through in the years that he was making films. These are quite messy essays, but they're pretty fun to 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 dig into. And in that specific quote, he's talking about the fact of compressing time in cinema, so that what we perceive as naturalism is actually extremely artificial. And he opposes that to. For example, the films of Andy Warhol, I mean, he doesn't name Andy Warhol, but it's kind of clear that he means him, uh, films that just stare and never cut. And so I guess in Warhol's case, the the paper isn't burning or maybe it's smoldering. And Radu, I'm, I'm wondering what was sort of the prompt that Giovanni and Annabelle came to you with and what it brought up for you? I think your essay is really fantastic because... Um, like a lot of essays uh, in the book, it's very personal, but it's also giving us a glimpse at the influence Pasolini had on you as a uh, as a filmmaker, but also sort of like where you were encountering his films in 1989 in Bucharest and sort of what it meant to you in a very specific historical and cultural context that you were coming of age in. So um, I'd love to hear your your approach to to the essay. Well, uh, so it, it, it's many approaches, actually, because, uh, of course, uh, I took the personal direction because I, I, I couldn't speak from another perspective. I'm not someone who can analyze Pasolini's work and, comes, and coming up with some new or unknown perspective or new perspectives. I, I only have my, my personal uh, recollections and my personal perspective on that. And that's changed in a way over the years um, because Pasolini, first of all, was for me uh, one of the meetings, so to speak, of teenage years. And I somehow uh, make this, um, uh, how should I say, separation between uh, what, I, what, what prompted my, uh, my interest when I was a teenager in a, in a, in a, in a very specific uh, uh, historical moment, which is somehow un- impossible to repeat, and I will uh, talk about it in a, in a second. And what I encountered uh, later on, so for 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 instance, uh, still Kafka or Dostoevsky uh, are for me huge influences. Some somehow deep inside, uh, because I encountered them at that time. Uh, Pasolini was exactly like that. So, so I, 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 I came of age. I, I became a teenager immediately after the 1989 revolution, where um, uh, Romania, on one hand, started to have uh, uh, the very big economical and social problems, but on the other hand, it it uh, it was a time. It was really a revolution, or I felt it like that. Uh, all of a sudden, everything changed. I mean, in, 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 in literally in a few months, everything changed. I remember, for instance, speaking of cinema, because I was 13 at that time. And you must know that in the last 10 years of Ceausescu's regime, so the, the whole 80s, there was not one single uh, film from the Western world bought by Romania. So we were totally isolated from that point of view. So all of a sudden, uh, in cinemas, you could see Karate Kid and Prince of Darkness and a lot of, of films that were actually, I think, it, it was a good deal for, for distributors to, 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 to send us films which were made in the 80s, actually, we didn't see it, et cetera, et cetera. So you, you, can, you can imagine... Actually, I, I had a quick question. So what were the films that you were seeing at the Cinematheque before 89? Before 89, I, I was too young to, to go there, and it was a closed 
uh, it was with close circuit. You have to be a part of, I don't know, uh, official or party members or whatever. It was very difficult. But after the revolution, uh, it was a very democratic. All of a sudden, you just have to have a, uh, a permit and you could go. And uh, and when I was like 16 or something like that, one of the, the biggest meetings was with Pasolini's movies in black and white. They, they had only black and white copies because that's also an interesting phenomenon, I think. Uh, they received for distribution films, I mean, the Romanian state, because it was a state distribution during Ceausescu's time, during last communist uh, uh, dictatorship. And they didn't buy them, but they made, they always made the black and white green, so to speak, that was kept in the archive. And in the, and the cinematic had a, a lot of movies like Taxi Driver or Apocalypse Now or Pasolini or Fellini movies and the ones which were colored, we saw them white in those times, you know, so it was, so for me, the recollection of Pasolini's films was uh, uh, like a black and white filmmaker, even for his most colorful movies, you know, like The Decameron or, 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 or these movies. Um, of course, later on, I saw them on DVDs or uh, uh, I, I saw them in color. So the the things, so, so the, the the power of this uh, encounter has to do, I think, with a few things, with the kind of uh, mixing, uh, if you want, from from, from I'm speaking, I'm trying to put myself in that perspective. Uh, the 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 kind of deep exploration of really nasty things inside. I mean, even Salo, we saw Salo, when you see Salo when you're 16 years old, this kind, it, it really, it's extremely powerful. But also, uh, you know, it, it, it had, I, I didn't really understand the politic, the political aspect of the time, of his, uh, at that time, but I was not uh, hooked by that, but by the the power, by the existential issues in a, in a way, and also by uh, in his trilogy of uh, of, of life, so to speak, uh, uh, with Arabian Nights and the Cameron, etc., this uh, this passion for for life and for cinema that you could could feel, and also I think I mentioned that in the essay, maybe a little bit, I'm living in in Romania. Um, uh, homosexuality was completely forbidden during Ceausescu time. So you would go to jail if you are gay or lesbian or whatever, and uh, even in the nineties it was still forbidden. People still went to jail until two thousand and one for for that uh, thing. And um, and uh, we grew up in a huge homophobic culture. I I remember you know my teenage years being extremely you know all these gay jokes, homophobic jokes. I, we didn't perceive it as homophobic, you know, and you you wouldn't get exposed too much gay culture so to speak or, or gay films or gay literature very 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 little and 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 all of a sudden for me at least and also for some of the friends that we i, I went with and we discussed this this film you know pasolini's movies i think like theorema for instance was also a way to somehow knowledge or understand that and and, and also his his book that appeared Roughly at the same time, uh, Petrolio, uh, to, to really understand that that being gay is not not a problem. It's it's it's, it's just a, another preference. It's just another way of, 
of of uh, having your sexualities and this was extremely i mean for me at that time extremely important so that's my perspective if i place myself in that time from the perspective of the current uh, of how i perceive myself now in relation with his work i think there's another aspect that that hooks me more that 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 interests me more apart from everything that we could say uh, about and and it was said about his work is this freedom and uh, a freedom that you know it's interesting because one can relate it in a way to nouvelle vague to to french new wave um pasolini first film of pasolini is roughly in the same time now it's 61 acatone is in 61 and i think if i can speculate a little bit that i think the root for both this freedom that the nouvelle vague and pasolini had in a way it's related to rossellini uh, because Rossellini was not only a great uh, uh, filmmaker and a great uh, uh, personality and a great, uh, uh, but but was also uh, somebody who was a very who, who who introduced this freedom in filmmaking, experimentation, mixing documentary with fiction, doing low budget things or big budget things, mixing stars with amateurs, etc. Everything that that Godard was a continuation, but also Pasolini was a continuation. And, and I think uh, that in, in, in the time of today where professional cinema, so to speak, is, uh, is uh, I mean, the cinema which gets financed or gets awarded or gets distributed, you know, sometimes the same things uh, uh, in, in one. Uh, this kind of cinema, I think, is sometimes, I, I feel like a pressure to, to not be free so to speak and uh, visiting the films of Pasolini make you understand wow but you know you can do things in such a way you can make a film like like uh, Orest, African Orestia or African Orestes where he just you know it's like a blueprint like like a sketch of a possible films he wants to make and it's 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 a masterpiece or you can see I don't know uh, Uccellacci Uccellini with his playfulness etc uh, etc et we can go on forever so i think this freedom this freedom is is the quality that is is for me much more important even than the 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 the, the, the success of he, of his films the quality of his films i care more now about this uh, this uh, openness and this freedom and this desire for freedom and I think that's a value much more important than, you know, whoa, he made a masterpiece. Okay, yeah, he made many masterpieces, but he was free. And that's that's the, the biggest lesson, I think. You talk a lot about, you talk in the essay, or not a lot, at the end, you talk about uh, pleasure being a kind of like the, his, his yeah. every one of his films seems to have been made in order to partake of the pleasure of, of making something, of making a film. And it, that comes through on screen. Yes, and I think that was a little bit counter to to what people usually say about him, that he was gloomy and he was, uh, you know, a kind of tortured person. And I'm sure he had, of course, we know he had this dimension as well. But uh, but judging, I mean, I think it's quite easy. It's judging by the numbers. If you judge how many films in, in, in such a few years, because his career was, I don't know, how 15, not even for 14, year, for 14 years only. And and in fourteen years, it's a huge number of films being made, and uh, and uh, full of imperfections, apart from writing. Yeah, apart from that. So, so I I don't think that if you're tortured, uh, you would put yourself to that uh, 
all that time. So, so I'm so I'm sure he had a, a pleasure of that. And in the in the poem, he compares himself. Oh, he doesn't compare himself, but he mentions Ginsburg several times, and it, and yeah. and the inspiration of Ginsburg. And I think that there's a connection there with pleasure and with the pleasure of writing and creating, just without uh, without a filter, kind of in that kind of freedom that you're talking about. I mean, what I also really like about Radu's essay is that you, even in the process of the writing, um, you are sort of opening yourself up to the contradictions that Pasolini's films, I think, cont- like inherently contained, you know, but also the appreciation of contradiction that they seem to have ignited in you, you know, the this idea that you can, I mean, you have this great sentence about Warhol's films where you say, I love all of Warhol's films, even those that I don't like. And I think that that's kind <laughs> yeah. of, you know, it seems there seems to be like this, this something with Pasolini that that seems to have made you appreciate this kind of incomplete or self-contradictory kind of art making where, which seems a little, you know, opposed to how people approach cinema or art these days where there's very much you either like it or not. It's either good or bad. It's pure or impure. And I think, um, and I was wondering actually, Giovanni, if you could talk a little about, I know you've, you have a great interest in Pasolini and I heard a little birdie told me you wrote your thesis on Pasolini. So you're, um, well-versed. And I was curious about you when you encountered his work and sort of how you've... His work just seems so off his time, but like responding to a lot of things historically, even even when they are, you know, about like these grand texts, uh, you know, that have stood the test of time and religion. And I'm curious the moment you encountered it in and how your relationship with his work has changed over time. Hmm. Well, I think I think uh, my my uh, encounter, my fascination with Pasolini is very common. It's kind of universal amongst Italians of a certain political and aesthetic inclination. He's just I don't know. As as Radu described him, is this he's this incredible powerhouse figure, and he was so intelligent and so dedicated and so political. And there's a there's a difficulty growing up in Italy because you really you're disillusioned with politics from a very early age because our political system is such a disaster, and our figures are all you know all of them are corrupt and and disappointing and so forth. And Pasolini feels like this this antidote to to it all. And then, yeah, and then you discover the films. I mean, he's a, you know about him long before you watch the films if you grow up in Italy, just because he's so, I mean, someone, someone, uh, I can't remember who compared his, uh, his death to the, the, the impact of his death to the impact of JFK's uh, assassination in the, in the US in terms of the fascination and the constant uh, dealing with it, and I think that's really accurate. So, so yeah, I think I think the first the first film I discovered I watched of his was as a sometime in my teenage years was Mamma Roma, and then I worked through them. And yeah, as as Radu said, you, you at that age you don't you don't understand the politics, but they have this visceral power and they draw you in. And then I was reading the the novels as well, Ragazzi di Vita and uh, Una Vita Violenta. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just 
when 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 I got to university, then it was obvious I was gonna. I didn't study film at first, but eventually I did study film as a second degree, and it was it was obvious I would uh, focus on him, and yeah, I don't know how my relationship to him has changed. I think you know that 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 incredible passion you have as a teenager, which many people describe for their various discoveries as teenagers. I guess for me that that was uh, with him and maybe I don't have that anymore, but I don't know. Whenever I revisit one of his films, most recently was watch, I watched the gospel on a print here in Berlin uh, with Danny Komian actually, who is a contributor to the book. And it was, I don't know, it destroyed me like the first time because it has this incredible power and you can always revisit them over and over. So yeah, I don't know that I have a good answer of how my, my relationship with him has evolved, but he still has that power, which, yeah, maybe other teenage uh, obsessions have lost over time. It's interesting to think about him as, as a transgressive figure that teenagers would be just inherently attracted to, just like punk rock or anything that kind of breaks the rules. I think gr- growing up here, he's he was already kind of solidified as in the canon. And so you think of him as this kind of uh, Godardian or uh, even even more like Rossellini somehow when you're learning about Pasolini at first. But they're very, very different, obviously, than both. I wonder how his career, how, through his career, how that transgressive impulse, if you can if you can think about how that developed through his career into... And then Salo, obviously, I think is obvious, is, you know, we don't even have to talk about it. But I'm thinking... Um, I'm thinking especially of the of the trilogy of life, which is so funny and full of life and just colorful. Especially because I saw uh, Akatoni yesterday, his first mm-hmm. feature, and uh, it's just so different from I'd never seen that one before, and so I was very surprised by it because it's very different from what I like associate with Pasolini, the trilogy of life, and those films, like the images that I associate with him and the tone, and um, like it's such an interesting sort of perversion of Italian neorealism in a way. It really recalls the basic tropes of that genre with, you know, the choice of protagonists and the kind of on-location shooting and capturing this urban, like, life and the the squalor and the moral sort of challenges of, of the poor. But it's also really perverse already, it's actively trying to make you uncomfortable as a viewer, I think. And I think like Teorema, uh, Radu, you mentioned is a celebration of different sexualities, but it's also like extremely disturbing investigation of manipulation, sexual manipulation. And how do you guys think about that sort of aspect of Pasolini in relation to his political solidarity with working class, that sort of thing. And maybe, Radu, do you want to, I don't know if you're... you're... Yeah, well, it's, uh, I think the question is too big for me, and maybe Giovanni, who, who, who studied it, and he's probably from Italy, can, can answer more. What what I can say is the fact that uh, for our age, because we live now in a kind of age where uh, <laughs> there is a kind of search for... Um, in, non-contradictory works of art and non-contradictory personalities in a way. Uh, And I think that one of the, also another lesson of Pasolini is the fact that he was so mixed up, so so, uh, 
full of contradictions that makes you that 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 it can infuriate you for different reasons, and in the same time uh, you you cannot uh, throw him away because from other parts the other parts of his personalities or political ideas or aesthetical ideas resonate with you. And I can can give one example, right? That and I think Giovanni knows more about. The scandal that created the the great uh, Jesus film, I mean, uh, Evangelo Secondo Matteo, which is a, a stunning film. I, I I also watched it once, maybe two years or something, and I'm always amazed by it. But in the same time, he was atheist and gay and communist and made this movie, you know, and uh, he was uh, he was a, a, a left wing personality, but he made the very worm. Uh, interview, film interview with Ezra Pound, who was, uh, you know, a supporter of of of, of, of Mussolini, etc., etc., etc. You can find, uh, you know, he was, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he was against abortion rights for for women uh, at some point. So you can see, uh, usually, or I think when I was younger, I, I I would I would want a personality to be, you know, totally one piece, so to speak, to coherent but now in a way i appreciate more this kind of contradictory personalities not only because i feel myself contradictory in many things but i think it's it's it, it's normal the, the the life is so complicated the reality is so complicated the the situations are so complicated that to be only in one direction i'm not speaking now of course of horrible things but uh, but i think that any honest person who thinks and and who 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 really, really uh, takes things seriously ends up uh, in one way or another having contradiction. I think that's a, a very important thing as well. Because, for instance, you know, to, to be from Eastern Europe and see in La Rabia, which is, I think, a great movie, uh, you can see his his uh, somehow support of Soviet invasion in in, in Hungary or uh, his dismissal, right, uh, Giovanni of of. Uh, of uh, contemporary art, at some point he he mocks some side drawings or something, you know. So I, I really think uh, uh, it's 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 very contradictory, and and you have to to be always careful with what you take from Pasolini and and not to take everything, you know. And I think that makes it even more engaging after after the first uh, the first. Uh, uh, dismissal, so to speak, or the first uh, desire, desire to cancel parts of his work or his personality. No, on the contrary, I think it's, it it makes it for me. It shows his honesty in a way because he didn't do. He, he was not an opportunist, you know, to 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 keep the line and and all that. So I think that makes it even more fascinating and and uh, encouraging, you know, to encourage the contradictions. I think they are very important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean. I think that's that's like a defining aspect of his of his thinking, and you know, uh, Clint, you mentioned Sado being so different from the trilogy of life, which in turn is so different from the earlier films, and like the the one constant in in his work in his thinking is the is this complete active rejection of consensus always. So complacency is the enemy. You know, you can't have stasis. You have to, you have to think things through. So he also said some really controversial things that pissed a lot of people off. The very famous one is the one where he uh, took side with the police in 1968. That's quoted all the time. 
But then he went back and took that back later. And was it just a provocation or what? That, that's ambiguous. But he was always, always challenging everything, including what himself. That's why he made the trilogy of life, which was such a departure because he felt his films were being overly intellectualized and too too um, highbrow. So he wanted to make a popular popular uh, type of cinema that still still very political and then when he was rejected by the highbrow critics he uh, he didn't feel understood and then he rejected the, the the trilogy of life he wrote he wrote an essay about the, about the rejection or repudiation i forget the exact title but he, he rejects the trilogy of life in total is in the same newspaper as the fireflies article and then he went on and made salo which you know that's that's a vision of consensus taken to its extreme. That's absolute consensus. And that's the world of Salon. And then he died and it's almost too perfect that, you know, that film was shown after his death. You're listening to the Film Comment Podcast. Sign up today for the Film Comment Letter. It's a free weekly digital newsletter featuring original film criticism and writing by Film Comment's editors and brilliant contributors. The letter delivers exclusive features, reviews, interviews, streaming picks, news, and more directly to subscribers' inboxes every Thursday before they're published on filmcomment.com the following Monday. Sign up today at filmcomment.com. Radu, you you talk in your essay about the central role of pleasure and somehow that seems to tie together some of these contradictory aspects somehow because there is this sort of, um, he has this interest in something primal, you know, this our primal relationship with pleasure and sex and how that gets sort of tied up with our political and social lives and our religious lives too, like how this desire has the power to scramble all our coordinates. Um, and I, I I was, you know, also thinking about your films in, in relation to his. You are also playing with transgression, with the opposition of the sacred and the profane. I mean, your your latest film featured uh, bad luck banging and loony porn, as one can tell from the title, really also taps into that aspect of transgression and sexuality and what it reveals about people politically and socially. And I, I was curious how what you make of the use of sex and profanity in Pasolini's films and if that had an impact on how you approach it in your work. Well, um, I guess in, in Pasolini's case was also something which was in the air of, of that time, uh, with sexual revolution, with uh, psychoanalysis, uh, and then you can see it. So, so I don't know that in, in my case it's uh, the same. What I think it's uh, an inspiration um, from, from, in a way also from him, is, is the use of these uh, uh, popular forms um, that he, he had also in literature, you know that, uh, and also the, Giovanni knows better and can talk better about that. That is, I think, his first novel, right? He even mentions it here, right? In 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 the in the in the poem, uh, in in this wonderful book, is uh, that he 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 wrote his first book in the Friulan uh, dialect of of his mother, uh, which was of course not uh, the. It was already something uh, not mainstream, so to speak. So. 
and and you can see in most of many of his films and also in some of the books at least the one that I, I, I read because not everything was translated here actually very little was translated here uh, you can see his um, likeness or his appreciation of popular forms or even of bad taste or what is considered by highbrow people bad taste and I think there is a power in, in, in using taking the bad taste things and transform them uh, into something else and, and this is something that maybe my film, I mean modestly I say have, have, might have in common I mean, when you take Comedia dell'arte and Toto, Toto was, was not, you know, an actor for for art house cinema, so to speak. And all of a sudden, he made this this film using Comedia dell'arte uh, as a as a guide uh, in, in a way, and a very corny and very kitschy and campy things that you can see in, in for instance, I think in in. Uh, in uh, Canterbury Tales, it's absolutely, it's on the verge of ridiculous. It's Monty Python-esque at many points. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I really believe strongly that uh, uh, sometimes great artists or great uh, works of art are on the verge of the ridiculous. I, I, I just had an experience because I'm also teaching um, directing class in, in, uh, in a university in, in Romania and, and weeks ago I did an exercise with them which, which I do it quite often because I think it's a good way to, to learn to take a film like a classical film, study it and then stay to, to stage it ourselves and film it ourselves with our uh, meager means, exactly shot by shot like that was done and, and we tried to do L'Argent by Bresson and the students laughed about it, you know, they saw uh, how it's acted, how it's shot, uh, how it's and, and they, they felt it it was ridiculous, and I could see what what they mean because it's such a it's it's on on a real tightrope between grace and 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 masterpiece. And it is a masterpiece, of course. It was L'Argent by by Bresson, and in the same time, you might see it from from a bad angle as a totally ridiculous thing. And I think sometimes it's it's the same with Pasolini. I mean, I mean when you see his, I, I remember. Uh, Somebody who say I cannot watch um, Arabian Nights because you see the lip sync, it's totally out of sync. There's no lip sync there, you know. It's some amateur people put to say something and then the dialogue is added. But that part of the charm, that part of of, of the charm, using these mistakes and these popular forms uh, to to uh, to to somehow attack the the established uh, the established forms of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he doesn't seem to be so. He doesn't seem to care so much about those uh, technical details and making everything smooth. It seems much more interested in so showing the uh, the human, and especially in the trilogy of life, the the to the hypocrisy of the of you know the the people in power to you know put down the human body as a as a as an object of sacred worship or you know the interaction of the human being. And that kind of radical humanism, and then as Salo is a different tack. But Giovanni, you were about to say something. Oh uh, yeah, no, I just actually wanted to follow up on uh, Devika's question, if I can, just to Radu, because one one uh, parallel that I definitely do see in your uh, filmography and Pasolini's is the variety. I feel like there's a, there's an equal restlessness in your films. You, they're very different one from the other. And I find that particularly interesting when 
does it think that you emerged as part of what's considered the Romanian new wave, which generally there's a certain homogeneity to those films, at least in the early days, which you completely departed from. And I was wondering whether whether you thought in that way at all. Yes, yeah, no, I, I'm glad you mentioned the variety of, of that because uh, that's what, somehow in line with what I meant before. It's this experimentation, this desire to experiment, um, which is, uh, you know, it, it's interesting that uh, I, uh, I read in Rossellini recently an interview, an old interview with Rossellini from the 60s, and he said uh, every industry that is successful, like cars industry, plane industry, whatever, uh, toys industry, they have a, a department for research. Uh, there's a research department that tries to find new things to, I don't know, to make a new car model, make a new whatever. And cinema doesn't have this research department. So Rossellini said that's, the, that's the, the, the bad part of cinema. It doesn't have a research department. And then if you look at somebody like him or like Pasolini or like Godard or, or others, Tibet in a way, it was always this desire to experiment, to push forms uh, into one direction or another with the risk of not getting anything uh, or, or, or failing or even if it's a failure or being ridiculous or being, you know, rejected or being not taken seriously. Um, and I think that's that's a very, very, for me, very important. It's, it's absolutely important to try to experiment and to try because cinema is form. It's not only, you know, what, what they say, the content, it's uh, uh, the story or whatever, the subject, film à sujet, like the French say. It's it's form. It's how uh, it, it, they go together, content and form. They have to go together, and in order to to have uh, 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 touch on a topic, you have to find the form. And I think that's yes, yeah, that's it. That, that's it. that's probably in a way the biggest influence of Pasolini on me, and one of the biggest appreciations I have, or one of the biggest, the most important aspect I appreciate uh, about his work is this desire. Uh, always to to experiment in one way or another, even if it's with uh, with uh, with uh, storytelling, with uh, techniques. And I I don't really agree with uh, I think Clinton said before that he didn't really care about technical. And I think in one hand it's on one hand it's true, but on on the other hand is he was always uh, uh, using new techniques. Uh, you know, he was always careful about uh, compositions, about light, about costumes, especially costumes settings, whatever, but uh, yeah. I it's So the, the Rossellini invocation that you mentioned, uh, this comparison of the film industry to the aviation or automobile industry is interesting because it is a view of cinema as an industry. I mean, if you're thinking of films like Cars or Planes, and uh, it, it kind of makes me wonder, this is a question that I also have for your filmography, but that I have about Pasolini's films too. Who are they for or who... He, did he think he was making them for other than himself? Because, you know, I think artists like him and Radu, if I may say this about your films, where you're bringing together lowbrow and highbrow, you're bringing together really crude kind of uh, elements, uh, you know, but you also have a very intellectual aspect to them. Uh, I mean, I think Bad Luck Banging is a really good example of that. Um, where you, it seems like there are two different kinds of appeal. I mean, it's sort of like a bifurcated film in some ways. Um, and that feels very 
there's something very playful about it. There's something sort of radical about bringing together uh, those kinds of modes. But I'm wondering what kind of spectators it draws in and what kind of audience it anticipates. Well, of course, now you touch uh, you touch the, the, the biggest uh, issue in our world. First of all, I think Rossellini called it an industry uh, a little bit ironical. Um so, so he said, if it would be a, a successful industry to have uh, this research department, uh, then, of course, in, you know, in the world of today, this question is always very problematical for me to answer to it because people say, okay, who are your films for? And my honest answer is that I make them really for everybody, uh, absolutely for everybody. And I think every, let's say, artist uh, is doing the same. I'm, I'm sure that uh, a violin player doesn't say, oh, I, I want to play the violin only for the very high culture audience or a jazz player wouldn't say, oh, if people don't know jazz, they shouldn't step in the concert hall. Uh, so I think everybody's doing it for everybody. Uh, every artist is doing his art for everybody. But practically, in practical terms, it doesn't happen in this way. So um, so I would, I would move the question, at, at least for a society like Romania, um, uh, where the the the, the, uh, the the funds for education, I, I mean, at least the, the communist regime did something uh, good because it took a little bit of care, uh, a lot of care, actually, for culture. Uh, for instance, they, we had in the 60s, 70s and 80s, even all the classical culture books uh, with very, very cheap prices. You could, you could find it uh, everywhere. Nowadays, books cost a lot of money. Here, so it, it's normal that not not many people can afford to to buy it, etc. So I would move the the answer to to the other side and say, in order to be able to answer that and to to say who is this audience and why it's only educated people, I would say, well, let's let's invest a lot of in education, in culture. Let's make this culture and education accessible. To, to many, many people, to everybody, if possible. And then we can have the discussion. And it maybe include also cinema classes, like they do it in France or in other places, maybe in the curriculum. And then we can have this question. Uh, and I can, I can see I have an answer. Because until uh, then, unfortunately, of course, it's only a minority of people being interested in, 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 in into this kind of cinema. Uh, in Romania, in uh, apart from Hollywood uh, productions and some local uh, comedies, but now you know it's a, it's a new genre of comedies that they don't need directors, they don't even need actors because the actors are mostly uh, stars from Instagram or YouTube or internet, like bloggers. You know these kind of people who are very very popular among teenage influencers and they make them they made a film together you know like a, a comedy um and it's a it's a huge success you cannot compete with that and i don't want to compete with that so i think it's 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 a very complicated issue and a very sad issue because it's the same like film comment you know who is it for well I, i'm sure you do it for everybody but in the same time not everybody is buying it not everybody is reading it although uh, we wish uh, these things to happen. So, yeah, to give a final answer, I would say, yeah, let, let's move it, let's move the, the accent on the education and the need of the state 
and of the politicians and of the politics to invest in education and culture. And then maybe we can have a bigger audience for that. I'm, I'm sure about that. You're not allowed to turn the tables on us. We're, we're the hosts. <laughs> but I do want to ask uh, Giovanni, like, if he has an understanding of, like, of uh, Pasolini's own understanding of his audience. I mean, I don't, I don't have any uh, like statistical knowledge of who went to see his films, but I do know that um, they all made no, money. No, specifically, I, what I, percent of people who bought Pasolini tickets yeah. were working class? That's what we want to know from you. That, unfortunately, I can't say. But yeah, as I did say, I, they, they made these are films that made money. I mean, we're talking about different times, but if. If I remember, if I remember correctly, I think the only film that didn't that made a loss was Medea. All the others made a profit, which is quite incredible if you if you think about it today. And Medea had a huge star too. Uh, yeah, no, that's true. But I don't know. I, I think he was also a very very public figure. He was constantly in the news. Uh, I think he was put on trial thirty three times, if if I remember correctly. So. It would have invited curiosity, and then he made films like the Trilogy of Life, which broke taboos and sought to, you know, you know, tantalize and uh, provoke. So yeah, I expect that the the that the audience was um, was was more varied. And I know that it definitely was in the early days. And then, yeah, as I mentioned earlier, he became more highbrow and won the critics over and uh, the international um, uh, festivals and so over more with the uh, later films before the Trilogy of Life. So I think it, it changed. It's interesting. Uh, when we did, we did a podcast on Godard with Richard Brody, and he said something that that is coming to my mind, which is he said that Godard used... He knew that he needed to cultivate a kind of star persona in order to get people to see his films. I mean, in the sense that he was using sort of a presence outside of his films and building a sort of, I mean, Richard's view was that he was self-consciously playing up a kind of cult of personality as a way to make the kinds of films he wanted to, which were often difficult films to make and get them out. And I don't know... I mean, I don't think that that's what you're saying. Like, there was some self-conscious aspect of it. No, no, sure. But the fact that he did write a column in the most, I, I think it, it was the most, it's still, today is the uh, newspaper with the most readership. I imagine it was at the time as well. The fact that he was writing in those newspapers, that he was in the cinema all the time, that he was being talked about, he was in public debates. He he at the time, the, the, obviously the culture was very different, but he was ubiquitous, and I think people engaged with him more. And then there's also just the fact that he always employed uh, uh, non-professionals from lower classes, and he sought them out, and he sought to to make the films in their dialects. And you know, he had an incredible feeling for the way people spoke. That's why uh, Fellini hired him as uh, to help him out on the script of Knights of Cabiria, because he, even though he wasn't from Rome, he knew how Roman spoke and could, could reproduce it in a film. Actually, it was, uh, you know, someone, uh, I think a young film critic from Romania writing a, a column uh, starting with Pasolini saying how great Pasolini was that he could be in the newspapers discussing all these topics 
from politics to culture to cinema to uh, whatever and saying why not Romanian why why you, we don't have Romanian filmmakers able to do that that actually yeah it's a good question and I ask myself and I say well I, I I'm not able you know I don't have opinions so so big and so important that I would share in a newspaper you know I would let others to do it I I couldn't I I really couldn't I mean for me even to write this text about Pasolini took me like two months you know to to do it so I think it's a it's a different type of uh, I think Godard was the same in a way uh, he was he had this persona you know being uh, very clownish and always humorous always funny always fascinating uh, so yeah all, I would love to to, to be there and always slippery you know yeah. contradictory in the same way we're talking with Pasolini I mean there's a little bit of a mystery that comes with that kind of uh, personality too um, what you're getting to Radu I think is a sense that I do get from Pasolini's films, which is that, you know, film, he, there's a conscious choice of the medium. And I think that's because he was able to express them himself in so many ways through so many avenues that there is this attention to form because he's choosing film over writing or literature, you know, journalism, because he wants to express something that he can't through all these other avenues. And you don't, always get that from filmmakers especially today I think a lot of um, where film can feel very professionalized like the film industry filmmaking as a profession can feel very professionalized where you don't necessarily get the sense that filmmakers are choosing this medium for a reason as opposed to a kind of defaulting Probably, but also when you see filmmakers having, many of them, having opinions on other topics, they, they are so stupid that you could say, oh my God, <laughs> better just keep making great movies and shut up about uh, other things. <laughs> Giovanni, I wanted to ask you, just in the process of commissioning essays for the book and reading these contributions, what are some you know, interesting things you discovered about Pasolini's influence in different parts of the world on artists from different kinds of modes and genres, anything that really surprised you? Well, it surprised me the, I mean, we we asked far and wide and we didn't ask directors based on whether there was an obvious correlation to Pasolini. Sometimes there was, but other times it was just filmmakers whose work we we think is great, and we wanted to hear if 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 uh, if Pasolini resonated to the, with them at all. And for example, Deborah Stratman wrote like an incredible piece, and it's the it's the closing piece of the um, of the of the book, and that was one of the the, the biggest surprises for me because uh, she it was a big, one of the biggest surprises because her her cinema is very uh, very different from Pasolini's and she picked a film that if I had had to put my finger on one film that she liked it wouldn't have been that one she picked The Hawks and the Sparrows and she wrote this beautiful poem engaging also with some of the um, the linguistic theory that, that Pasolini uh, wrote and then she drew these incredible uh, images that close the book I think it's 13 in a row um or, I don't know, or Alexandre Koberice um, wrote this 
this letter to Pasolini and it's all about football, playing football in heaven with the angels. It's really very Pasolini-esque, his, his essay. Yeah. They're just so fan- fantastical and, and sort of silly, but um, also, you know, uh, serious and metaphysical. <laughs> no, absolutely. And that was... I mean that was really scary in the way that the, the we we conceived this book and we we uh, we reached out to people because we we had very little control over what came back. It could it could have been a complete disaster, but it wasn't. And there's such variety and they're so alive. And what I think comes across really beautifully in the book is they really feel like twenty different voices speaking about Pasolini in very different ways and. So I don't know that I've made any particular discoveries about Pasolini uh, in certain parts of the world and so forth, but the fact that he inspired such heterogeneous uh, responses and that it resulted in the book that it did, I think speaks like volumes about his filmography and his influence. I was also very surprised by yeah the reach of his films because they feel so specific to me sometimes. They're mm-hmm. so... I mean, first of all, they're about Catholicism, you know, at least a chunk of films <laughs> are just like so much based on religious mm-hmm. or literary texts that I wouldn't necessarily think would translate so broadly. Uh, they seem politically specific also. I mean, even Radu reading your piece about... You know, the, you have this amazing opening to your piece where you're listing all the things that came to Romania in 1989, you know, and it's like porn and Coca-Cola and, you know, all just an eclectic uh, set of objects and then Pasolini. And it that that is quite fascinating to me uh, that his films seem to have translated across the world in so many distinct political, cultural and social contexts when I find them to be often... Uh, almost hyper specific in the references they're drawing upon in what they're reacting to uh, and I don't know I mean I think when I first saw some of those films I don't know if I caught all the biblical you know references or, or their import because it's not something I necessarily grew up with so it's that is quite fascinating too you know what's uh, even more intriguing and I don't have a complete answer to that I think uh... Uh, somebody um, tried to to write an essay on Godard. The same problem of reception in, in Romania was the fact that although he was a communist, uh, I'm thinking about Pasolini, and although uh, I don't know Godard was uh, so left wing, their left wing, their so called left wing films were not distributed in communist uh, Romania. Uh, that's weird because, and I think it's because. Uh, uh, it was a kind of, they felt, uh, or the censors felt, or I don't know, felt that's something more. It's not only that they are left-wing, but it's also the sexuality thing and maybe the anarchy of the form that made them not to, to screen them. So you, you wouldn't have, for for instance, the uh, Digabert of uh, time of uh, Godard and Goran and the others. There was not even one screening in Romania of those movies. And the same with Pasolini, there was no, it was never officially screened in in communist Romania, as far as I know. I mean, you you wouldn't have uh, hawks and sparrows uh, uh, shown in Romania in in socialist Romania. It was totally, basically forbidden, basically non distributed. Um, that's that's very interesting, and I think my speculation is that it's about it's because of that. 
is because of the fact that, well, it was the left wing, but <laughs> too complicated. So, uh, so better, you know, just to keep him out of the distribution. And and yeah, and after the revolution, you know, when uh, I encountered the cinema, and actually, actually, it's 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 something even uh, more weird in a way with his black and white copies uh, in the cinema. Is the fact that because uh, there was no copyright law in 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 Romania operating for a few years after the revolution, uh, the first uh, uh, private television that appeared started to broadcast movies from the film archive from the cinematic and i also saw this pasolini was all all, all over for for a few weeks uh his films were <laughs> these black and white copies were broadcast by by television after uh the revolution so it was like a, a small boom you know of, of pasolini all of a sudden i mean it, it was like a forbidden filmmaker before and all of a sudden you could see him in cinematic but also on on uh, on television with with Oedipus Rex and also there's this uh, uh, discussion that I, I think I mentioned that that Pasolini had a, a trip to Romania that I don't know if Giovanni knows more than I know about it because I didn't research it well but um, apparently he he had a project and he he came here with a project with uh, with um, Alberto Mora- Moravia with, uh, with 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 Moravia yes and and uh, uh, also Pasolini had uh, researched some music in Romania, and part of the music in uh, Oedipus Rex is Romanian folk, <laughs> folk folk music, which is very funny for us to see because it was put there to sound exotic or ancient Greek or whatever, and, and it's just some folk songs from a specific area in Romania. And uh, and for us as Romanians, you know, uh, because we are somehow, uh, you know, feeling at the periphery, whenever there's a mention of Romania or of something Romanian in a movie, it's something that you notice it. It's not like, you know, if somebody says, I'm going to New York, you wouldn't notice it. But if somebody says in a film, I'm going to Bucharest, oh, oh my God, you sometimes you, 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 you notice it immediately. And, and it was also this because so that the first thing I saw was Oedipus Rex, I think, and uh, and this Romanian music made a big impression. Say, so, oh my God! See, Pasolini was using Romanian music. That's something. So before we close out, Giovanni, do you want to tell people where they can buy uh, the book Pier Paolo Pasolini writing on burning paper? Sure, you you can very simply buy it on our website, FireflyesPress and I guess you have a lot of New York listeners. I think they sell it at the Metrograph store as well. Well, as someone who has a copy, I, I think it is a very collectible item and I recommend it to our listeners. Uh, thank you both so much for joining us from far away parts of the world. This was excellent. And we are excited for people to discover this book and you know maybe it'll be a way for a lot of people to find different perspectives on Pasolini so thank you thank you thank you so much for the invitation the film comment podcast features original music by Greg Einge film comment is a publication of film at Lincoln Center since 1962 film comment has been the home of independent film journalism 
publishing in-depth interviews, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com. Thank you.